Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 12-8-2021, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Um, let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for the grace that has been provided to us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we come prepared to focus our attention on your word. We pray for wisdom. We pray that you will uh, teach us about the verse that is in our view this, this, this evening. Thank you for those who are here. We pray for those who may not be here, but uh, we pray that what we do tonight will have an impact not only for us, but for those who may listen in the future. Father, we pray for those who are sick among us. We do have some uh, prayer requests on the table. Uh, my uncle George, who has had triple bypass surgery, we're praying for him and for recovery. And also for our cousin um, who has passed away, we're praying for the family so that they will be comforted uh, as they mourn the loss of their loved one. So Father, I'm sure there are other prayer requests. We, we also have my sister Gail. Uh, I'm sure other, others on the phone here have those on their hearts who they know they would want to pray for. So Father, you know the, the hearts, our hearts, so we're asking for whatever is in their heart as well, if we haven't mentioned it already. So all this we ask in Christ's name, amen. All right, so you can reach us as well. Word is Truth Christian Church is on the web. It is wordistruth.com. If you'd like to uh, get more information about the church or what we do or recordings, there's a wealth of information there. Word is Truth dot com no spaces and we are going into the book of Romans this is where we are in our course of study Romans chapter 10 and you should have notes and uh, Romans 10 4 is where we are tonight we've been dealing with Romans quite a bit uh, and we came through chapter nine, and that was, uh, I would, I would say, quite interesting, as we went verse by verse through there. But now here we are in ten, and Paul continues, pretty much with the same thought. So let's let's um, look to our notes. It says, "This is Romans ten four. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes." As we review the work of, of God on our behalf, we can see the comprehensive thought and abundant provision accomplished for us. God has perfect answers to all the questions we may have as it relates to our so great salvation. It is a, moment, a monument to grace and it provides a stable foundation for which spiritual growth may flourish. Unfortunately, many do not see salvation as the introduction to the new life. 
for them, this grace, this grace achievement by God is the ultimate goal of all of their efforts. Or they simply cannot see past salvation to the hope of our calling. So this is where we covered uh, in chapter 9, where we saw that there were some fatal flaws that the Jews had in terms of their understanding of the law and how it applied and the fact that God established the nation Israel. Uh, for some reason, they thought they were privileged. They thought that, well, if God has done, done that, he's worked with our nation, he has shown up in our culture, for some reason, we must be privileged. So we don't really need salvation. Unfortunately, the bad news affects all of us, even if you were born with the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what we have here is a flaw in the Jews' uh, way of thinking. They thought they didn't need to come through the door of salvation. In fact, they thought if, if as long as they had the law and they were attempting to keep the law, that would have been good enough for them to um, be accepted by God. They, they felt very privileged. Well, in fact, Gentiles didn't have all the things that were accompanying Jews, that Gentiles didn't, uh, didn't have the law, and they didn't know God's ways and so forth. So they, they just felt very privileged. So let's take a look at this verse. There's only a short couple phrases here that we have to look at so it shouldn't take us too long to get through here so christ is the culmination of the law let's think about that so that first one and point number one we got culmination so that's the word telos uh, and what does it mean it means termination the limit at which a thing ceases to be always of the end of some act or state but not the end of a period of time. It means the end or the last in any succession of series or eternal, that by which thing is finished, it's closed, issue. The end of all uh, to which all things relate, the aim, purpose, and all that comes from Thayer. And you can easily see those definitions if you have uh, a Greek dictionary. So in, in all of that, now it's interesting that when Christ was on the cross, he said pretty much the same, except uh, he said teleo, this is teleos. Teleo is uh, the verb form of the same word. This is, uh, this is the noun form that we're, we're working with in our context today. But when Christ said it is finished. He used the verb form of the same word that we're, we're thinking about. And obviously, what was he talking about when he said it is finished? He was really referring to the salvation plan of God. Sins were all judged uh, in Christ. He had screamed on the cross for over three hours, a three-hour period. And when, when all the sins of the whole world were judged in him, he said, finished. And this is the word he used. Yeah, 
And so this is um, this is quite interesting when we're looking at the same word, even though it's in the noun form, as it relates to the law. Christ Christ is the end, or uh, how do we say uh, the end of a period of time, the end, the end or termination or limit. So as far as we're going to try to dig into what does that mean? Christ is the culmination. I, I think King James says Christ is the end of the law as it relates to righteousness. I think that's the rest of the verse. So that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So let's look at the rest of these points here to see if we can get through uh, what, what this first phrase is. Point B, the work of Christ is on display here. Because Christ couldn't be the end of the law if he hadn't come and done what he needed to do, right? He didn't just show up and say, well, I'm, I'm the end of the law. He had to complete his work on, on the earth. And that includes um, salvation from start to finish. And it has been completed in the work of Christ. And so that we can have Acts chapter 4, 12, which says there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So Christ is the focal point for the whole world, whether it's before the cross or after the cross, as it relates to salvation. And so the work he did, we can speak about it, is he died for the sins of the world. And um, every sin, any, any human being would ever commit, Christ paid the penalty for that sin. And we know that God is satisfied with the work of Christ on our behalf. We know that that's so. So salvation from start to finish, done. But there's also another way of looking at it is, is that Christ performed uh, righteously before the Father. So what he came and he did what he had to do, but he did it in a way that uh, the Father was pleased with. So that is important to note because we're, our subject is about righteousness and where the Jews failed to submit to the righteousness of God, which is really the righteousness of Christ is what we're going to see. Uh, so, uh, and I say here, note, we did not have uh, this, that verse in the Old Testament. So why do I say we didn't have this verse in the Old Testament? Because Christ hadn't come and done the work yet. Even though he hadn't come and done the work, God was giving people salvation. He was promising them salvation based on the work of Christ that he was to come and do. Well, God pretty much knew that Christ was going to come and do his, do his job. But, you know, until he actually did it, then we can't say that it's done. Well, he did and it's done. He performed all the work necessary. He was righteous before the Father. The standing that we have before God is not our standing. It's not our righteousness. It's not our goodness. It's not, it's not the, the things that we do to main, to what we think we maintaining our salvation. It is all about Christ. So when the Bible says there's no works necessary for salvation, well, that's definitely referring to your works, the things you do. And none of it, nothing of what you do is required for salvation. 
That sounds really strange to religious people, I know. They think, well, what do you mean? Are you trying to encourage me not to do any works? That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just putting things in perspective that your works are not a part of your salvation. Even if you said, well, I'm, I'm a Christian and I do Christian things and I do what's right, I do what's good, all that's fine. But none of that contributes to your salvation. None of it. So you could almost say, whether you did those things or didn't do them, it wouldn't matter as it relates to your salvation. Now, those things do matter. I'm not saying they don't, but it doesn't matter with, with respect to your salvation. I hope that's understood. And, and if not, please ask as we get to the Q&A section later about that. We just want to make sure we understand that when we put our faith in Christ, that we are depending on him and his work, not on ourselves and our work. Point C, let's go to it. The context is of the failure of the Jews. They saw the law as a way of justification before God without considering God's way. And, you know, I always like to throw this verse in. This is Proverbs 16.25. It says, there is a way. I think I'll read it. We haven't read that in a while. Let's see, Proverbs, let me get to my scripture here. It's Proverbs, stand by, 16.25. It says, there is a way that's, that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. Now this, it's in a couple verses in Proverbs. That's one of the verses where it says this proverb. There is a way that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. So we don't want to assume that um, the way we think is right is the way God has designed salvation. We want to make sure that we understand salvation according to the one who is providing salvation. And we're the ones who are lost. So how can we come up with a way to be saved? If, we are, if we're the ones who are hopelessly and helplessly lost, how is it that we are going to come up with some sort of plan of salvation when we said we, we confess we're sinners, we're hopelessly, helplessly lost, we're condemned, we're under the wrath of God. All of that is true of us at birth. So any way of salvation is certainly not going to come from us. But guess what? Man has devised a way. And so has the Jews. The Jews did the same thing. They said, well, you know, if you keep the law, if, you, if, you, if you're very studious and, and very determined and sincere, if you keep the law, then God will see your heart. He will, you will, you will be saved. And, you know, today um, it is about morality. You know, people, they have their own system of, what's good and bad, and if a person is good. And, and you know, sincerity goes a long way in, in the way religion thinks. People think if you're sincere, boy, if you weep some tears, then, oh, that really lets people know that you're sincere. However, none of that can move God in terms of providing salvation for you. The 
only thing that moves God is what Christ has done on our behalf. Remember, we're the ones dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live when we follow the ways of this world and the ruler who was basically, we can't provide a way of salvation. We're dead. None righteous. So yes, whatever ways man comes up with, we better make sure they're speaking about God's way because that's, a, to me, the most important thing that we have to consider. Let's keep going. Point D, there are many ways to show uh, Israel's, Israel their flaw. Right. So, In other words, there, when we look at the scriptures, especially the book of Romans, um, we just came out of chapter 9 where Israel accused God of being unfair. Uh, you know, they, <laughs> it was hard because they literally said, God, you, if you choose the church, then that would be a breach of your word. And literally, that would, the Jews were accusing God of being unfaithful to them. When in reality, it was the Jews that was, that they were the ones who were unfaithful to God. In fact, they had this, at the root problem, was this flaw that they had, which said that um, they didn't have to believe in Christ. That they were righteous before God. And to top it off, they rejected their Messiah to his face. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. So there were many problems. When God finally began to reveal all of the, that in Romans 9, he started talking about judgment and how Israel had been judged many times for their disobedience. This is not a new thing. God did administer judgment to Israel, but he always preserved a remnant and we learned that uh, as we got toward the end of chapter 9. So there's a lot of ways to show Israel's flaws. They failed miserably. If you don't know about Israel's failure, just read the book of Isaiah. Start right at the first chapter. And just read into that. Just, see, just to see where Israel was and what God's view of them was. So there are lots of ways to show it. But... This chapter speaks loudly, and that's Romans 4. If you like, I mean, really, it's not just Romans 4. It's the whole of Romans. As I read over this note, this point in the notes, I thought, there's certainly a lot more I could have put. But Romans 4, Paul makes some poignant arguments, very cogent, about Israel's flaw. And this particular one about their dependence on the law. That happens to be the point we're trying to make. And he brought Abraham into the picture. He brought David into the picture. And he talked about righteousness by faith. And that is what Israel coveted. They coveted that they wanted to be righteous before God. Why were they righteous? Because they had the law. And they said, oh, if I have the law and I'm doing what the law says, I'm righteous. But they, they, they were not. And they were not doing what the law says. The law was trying to tell them that they were lost and they refused to listen to it. So, but Romans 4, if you're not familiar with that, we, we actually went over it, but if you're not familiar with Romans 4, you need to take some time to go over it 
and just read it. Now, even if you're not in great detail, just read it and the logic of it just flows. And I often wondered as I went through that chapter and we taught it, I wonder what would a Jew think about those arguments? Those arguments are the best I've heard to try to help Israel understand their weakness and their flaw. It's designed to say, well, wait a minute, let me look at these things. Uh, How can I hold my stance and, and yet these things be true? Israel should have known and they should have paid attention. So I'm not going to go into chapter four, but I want you to take that on and just read through it for yourself. See the logic in it, how it flows, uh, how the apostle used Abraham and and before he was circumcised, after he was circumcised, you know, all those arguments. I don't know how a Jew would be able to stand. So it could have been the reason why they hated Paul so much because because he wrote so directly. And instead of you know, him being lifted up and said, oh yeah, you're speaking the truth, they wanted him to shut up. And they said, we're gonna kill you because we don't want you talking about these things because if, we, if you do, perhaps more Jews would be turning to Christ. So point E, context is righteousness. So the focus is on the life of Christ before the Father. And, and this is a quote here. Remember, the reason why Christ is the end of the law or the culmination of the law is because the standard of righteousness that he achieved when he was on earth, when he lived on earth, and three or four times from heaven, a voice was heard. And this is what they said, not they, but the voice said, and it says, and a voice from heaven said, quote, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. It's Matthew 3, 17. And so when you read that, and, and then you read other verses, this is my son, listen to him. I've accepted him. He is my the one I have chosen, except... There are different various things that are said, but the voice from heaven confirms that Christ is satisfying the work that he was supposed to do, not only in just paying for the sins, but in accomplishing righteousness. So Abraham believed God and is credited to him as righteousness. Everybody, in fact, that's in Romans chapter four. So so the righteousness that Abraham received or was credited, guess whose righteousness that is? It's the righteousness of Christ. That's the only righteousness that a man uh, has achieved that is pleasing to the Father. He's the only one in the entire history of the world that has pleased the Father. You never would hear these words. This is my one, I... I am pleased with him. You would never hear those words anywhere in the entire Bible except for one person. And that's the person of Christ. And it it is his righteousness. Now the Father knew that Christ was going to come and do this. So based on that, he imputed the righteousness of Christ 
to their to their account, even though Christ hadn't done it. And remember, all, everything in the Old Testament was not sure in in the sense, like even their salvation, it was sure because God promised them. God said it, but even though that was the case, Christ still had to come and perform the work, right? He still had to come and pay for the sins of the world and perform the righteousness, live a righteous life before the Father. He had to do it, even though they had been received by God as righteous. The reality is that until Christ did it, then, it, or let's just put it this way, if Christ hadn't done it, well, then God would have to take that righteousness back. I don't know how that would work. It's kind of silly to even say it, but it doesn't work that way. So so this is important to note. This is my son whom I love. Christ is the, he is the, as it says in 1 John 2, 2, he is a propitiation for our sins, but not for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Well, not only is he sat, is God the Father satisfied with the judgment of all of our sins in Christ, God the Father is satisfied with the level of righteousness that Christ achieved on this earth for mankind. And remember, Adam was the first uh, progenitor of the human race. Now we have Christ as the last Adam. And when he is able to make everybody righteous who comes to him. So we're moving on, point Number two, so, so it goes like this, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So let's just uh, review what is righteousness. Righteousness is equivalent to God's perfect standard. So I'm hoping that people understand that. Like if you're saying, somebody says, well, I'm, if you're righteous, what does that mean? That means... God's perfect standard. Now, there is what we might call experiential righteousness. It's not, even though we've been justified because we've received the righteousness of God, as you grow in grace, your mind can be transformed so that you can do works that are befitting of righteousness. In other words, you can do works in righteousness because your, your mind is, you have been allowed, you've allowed God, the Holy Spirit, to control your life to the extent that he can motivate you to do good works. And you do those good works, um, and we, we, we consider those good works righteous. But those are not the good works that are used as a part of your standing before God. Even though... They are motivated by the Holy Spirit. They're still not done by you in particular. I mean, you do have a part in it. But the righteous works that Christ did are the works that are used for your salvation. The works you do, you you may do them or you may not do them. But they are not a part of your salvation. So when we think about righteousness, we're thinking about God's perfect standard. That's what that is. Romans 3.23 speaks of all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, what, what he's referring to there is his right, his perfect righteous standard. So when we speak of righteousness, that's what we're talking about. And we all have standards, just to note. We all do. There, there are things that somebody could do to us 
and we would say, wait a minute, uh, you just step, you just crossed the line with me. Hold on, that you, you no, you're not allowed to to do that to me or or say that about me or whatever it is they've done. Why have we said that? It's because that person has crossed the line with us. And we have certain standards. We said, now, you know what? I'll accept everything except if a person does this, then that's it. And I can think of, I mean, my mind just goes to certain stories. When I read one story about Christ and how he performed admirably before the Father, but in reading some of the things that he had to go through before he got to the cross, one of them was, that it says that they spit in his face. And that is, I don't know, that is so demeaning if somebody spits in your face. And if it was me, I probably, and I was, and I was Christ, that would have been it. I probably wouldn't have made it through there. But anyway, Christ did. He endured all of that. They beat him, they punched him, they mocked him, they... Uh, put a crown of thorns on his head. They spit in his face. I mean, they pulled out his beard, it says. These are all things that they did that were demeaning. And um, we wouldn't have stood for it. But Christ did. It said when he was reviled, he did not revile back. When he was mocked, he did not return the uh, insults. And on, on and on. Christ was different. When it came to that, he was depending on God. He knew he had a mission and he was maintaining that perfect standard. So point B, Paul not only tells us of the impossibility of anyone keeping the law, but he tells us why from the start to finish. In other words, if you read Romans 3.20, it tells you, I'm going to just read it real quick, which is all, it always is another verse that used to, I used to say, how in the world could anybody read that and come away with that you had to keep the law? Romans 3.20, therefore no one will be declared righteous. Isn't that the very thing they want? To be declared righteous. In God's sight, by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. If you read Romans 3.20 and you don't understand why, then just read back a few verses. To see why, it's because their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers is on their lips, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin and misery mark their ways, the way of peace they do not know, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And then when, when we get up, that's coming up to 20, that's the context. What, what is that speaking of? It's speaking about us and our nature. That's the nature we have from Adam. So no matter what, those people can't keep the law. Those people are never going to be righteous before God. It says they have no fear of God before their eyes. They don't even know that they are in this state. But the law is telling them that. It says through the law, we become conscious of our sin. They, they get to know how ugly they are when they look at the law. And, and this is why. This is my point in, in saying that, and this is point um, that he tells us the impossibility, point B, impossibility of anybody keeping the law. Not because, it's not because they don't have the, the, the effort. Some people have the effort and some people don't. 
It's because of their nature. None righteous, not even one. None seek after God. They're all together. All of them have turned away. There's none righteous, not even one. But he tells us why. It's not just like, you're just not righteous. He t- it's our nature is the problem. And you can't change your nature. There's nothing you can do about your nature. God has to do that. And he does. He does. So point C, the, the law was never, it was never a way of righteousness. Never was. It wasn't ever meant to be. The Jews distorted it into a system of works, which uh, they assumed God was approving of their works. So, quote, here's a verse. This is one of the verses in chapter four. I'm just throwing it out here for us. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world. Not through the law, because the law wasn't even there yet. But through the righteousness that comes by faith. Notice, we discuss what righteousness this is. It's the righteousness of Christ on our behalf. It's just like people, when they sacrifice an animal, and they say, and they put their head, their hand over the animal, and they say, um, and they confess their sin, they're saying that, I believe in the Savior to come. Now, Christ hadn't come yet and paid for their sins, but they're trusting that he would. And that's all that God needed them to do. And that's what, that's what this verse is saying about righteousness. Not through the law, Abraham and his offspring received the promise, the promise that he would uh, be the father of many, many nations, right? It, it was, or here it's saying that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. So all Abraham did was believe. Abraham believed the Lord and was credited to him as righteousness. That's how it worked. Didn't have to do any works. There was, there was no law. So, so the Jews are way off trying to devise a salvation that has to do with keeping the law, the Mosaic law, telling people they got to become Jew, Jews in order to be saved. Point D. Everyone who believes, right? So this is so that there may be righteousness to everyone who believes. In context, this refers to Jew and Gentile. To note, Gentiles did not have the law. So it's another way of saying that it, the law is not a factor in this. You can be righteous before God without the law. Well, we know righteousness is not, salvation is not of works, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's not those things. So we know those things are already so, but when we read these verses, more corroboration is if a Gentile can be just as saved and righteous as a Jew, then it has nothing to do with what the Jews had, what their culture represented, or any of that. It is simply, just like Abraham, believing on the Lord and being saved. That's That was it. There was no other way to think about that. I don't know how you could think about it a different way. If a Gentile is saved and you're working hard to be saved, well, obviously there's a problem here. And the problem is that you did did not understand salvation by grace. Point E, or another way to speak of God's design for this, um, here's another way God says it. 
Um, and this is in Romans 11:33. For God has bound, and here it is, everyone over to disobedience. How does he? How did God bind everyone over to disobedience? It's because of the bad news, right? As you're born, and we we've talked about this many times. As you're born, you're born alive physically, but spiritually speaking, you're dead. You're separated from God, and Adam all die. And you're not only that, God has already ruled over everybody in Adam. And guess what the ruling is? Condemned. And then on top of that, there's a, a nature of sin that is accompanying every single person who comes from Adam. And it's the spirit of rebellion. It's what we call the sin nature. It's what we just talked about in Romans chapter 3. And that continues to follow everyone born in Adam. That sin nature prevents us, for sure, from keeping the law. Right? The law, and there is another verse we used to read in Romans eight. It says, "Hold on, I just read. I know it's not here, but I'm just going to read it. Romans eight, and here it is. Here it is, verse seven. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God." It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. See that? The, and the, why? If you, if you ask, why can't I do what's good? I'm very sincere. I'm trying hard. It just will not work because the nature that man, that accompanies man, it, it cannot work. And that nature in Romans 6 is said to rule over us. It's not like we have a choice in the matter. We're born with it. It's the boss, and we are its servants. Back to our notes. We're going to move forward here. So it says, For God has bound everyone over to disobedience. And, and there is a reason for God doing that. Not just, well, you know, I just feel like condemning people. It's because so that he could have mercy on them all. So that's, if you think about it, this is, the wisdom of God here. And actually the verse after this talks about, oh, the depth and the, of the riches and the wisdom of God. Who, you know, It talks about that in the very next verse. But in this verse, you see the plan right here. God condemned all. In other words, this is the bad news so that he could have good news on all. He could offer the good news to everyone without exception. He's not going to say, well, Jews, you don't need as much good news as Gentiles over here. I'm going to give you, I'm going to, I need, Gentiles need it more than you. No, everyone is condemned. As Paul says in Romans 3, 9, are we any better? We Jews, that is. No, he says, no, God has made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. We, there's no pass that the Jews get. Because of their culture, they have to come through the door of salvation just like the Gentiles do. And it's free. It's grace, right? So that's the wisdom, Romans eleven thirty three. Point F, Christ was always the only way of righteousness. He was always that way. For Adam, uh, if Adam was saved, and I believe he was, Eve, Abel, Righteous Abel. How did Abel become righteous? And what's that righteousness based on? Is it just based on what Abel did? No. It's the righteousness of Christ. 
that Abel had. And, and that's where he was able to do good works. He was able to offer a better sacrifice than Cain because he was saved. And salvation is by grace. Salvation wasn't by whosoever offers a sacrifice. That wasn't the point. Salvation was by the shed blood of the animals that were slain. And so that's why God wanted a blood sacrifice representing uh, the work of Christ on their behalf. That's part of worship. That is not a, 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 them saying salvation. It is a part of worship. And, and so Abel was righteous. Noah was righteous. Abraham was righteous. Job was righteous. And anyone else in the Old Testament that was saved was righteous. And their righteousness is based on the work of Christ on their behalf. Not based on anything they did. Uh, we have in Romans 4 the illustration of Abraham in detail. You can take that illustration and uh, spread it to anyone who is saved because the truth is no one can be saved because Christ is the only human representative before God. That's like it says, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So all of those things that you read in Hebrews chapter 11, right? Just, we call it, we used to call it the heroes of faith. Read that chapter. But, and just know that all of those people that are listed there had the righteousness of Christ. But even though he hadn't come and, and performed it, it was trust in the righteousness of the Son. Point G, we're moving forward here. Confirmed, and I say it's confirmed because Christ did it. Christ came and did the work of salvation expected of him. Anticipated of him for all time. And Romans 3.25 talks about for the sins that were passed, for all of that. But really, it's not just the sins, it's about righteousness as well. So we don't have to look forward anymore. But guess what we still have to do is look back. And we can't look forward, we gotta look back. And when we look back, we look back at the cross. We look at the life of Christ and the cross. That's what we look back to. That is the same thing they looked forward to. And we should note, point H as we close, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. We should know that works don't please God. When, we're, when we come to God, we must have faith. Not works, faith. And faith, without it, God is not going to be pleased on our behalf. He already told us what he thought about us. He, he bound everyone over to disobedience, as, as we read, so that he may have mercy on all of us. So that mercy is, is also another way of saying grace. So it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man would boast. So we, we should understand this. I, we can talk about this, the way of salvation, but we're also seeing the peculiarities that the Jews had when they look at salvation. What a Gentile might not see salvation in quite the same way. It's the same salvation, but they approach it from different angles. So now we're seeing the Jews being addressed. I think it is beneficial for us to understand it. 
So as we close, let's close out. We're going to have a, a short Q&A session. Well, we'll see if there are questions or thoughts out there as before we close. And we'll open it up and, and allow any questions, any thoughts to what we had already discussed. I will pause. Yeah, I, I had a thought that I'd like to share. Um, in, in the beginning, uh, well, under your first point, that Christ is a culmination of the law, um, I had a couple um, things to say. There were, you did an excellent job of emphasizing that works um, have nothing to do with your salvation. They are not involved, nor are they relevant um, in earning salvation, getting saved, or maintaining it, nothing like that. Um, and, and there really is no distinction for anybody, uh, just like the bad news that you shared in, in Romans chapter 3. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I would like to add that you work, so people might be wondering, well, where do our works come in that? I mean, does it, where does it matter that I'm a good person or whatever? Um, well, being a good person, I think it's just a good thing. But um, deeper than that, it's all about the calling that is um, relevant for the dispensation or the administration that you're under. So, and th there are huge distinctions at that point. So that's where you start making a, a huge difference between Jews and the Gentiles, um, between the nation Israel and the church. We are currently in the church age where salvation is the same as it always was, but the calling is um, entirely different than what it was for Israel. Absolutely. Good point to make as well. And that, that's one point to make is to say, uh, even for Jews under the law, they needed to believe in Christ, the, the Savior to come, to put their trust as, as it relates to their reconciliation to God on the Savior, the substitute on their behalf. They needed to do that. That was a matter of, of fact for them. And yet, that's where they failed. But even if the Jews succeeded in that, if, if those in Israel succeeded, then the, the way of life for them would have been under the law. They were still under the law. What do we mean under the law? We mean that the... As a nation, the law governed the Israelite. So you might want to look at it like uh, if you live in the continent of the United States and if you're uh, a citizen of the United States, then you are under the laws of the United States. Excuse me, the Constitution, uh, state laws, you, you are under the law because you are a citizen of the United States. And so for you to be a good citizen, you can't just say, well, I'm not under any laws. I'm not, I'm, 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 you know, I have salvation. I'm not under any laws. That's not the, if you were going to be a good citizen here of the United States, you have to be obedient to the laws that um, are here. Now, that is just a crude example, but Israel was a nation before God, and 
they still had to come through the door of salvation, but even but after they came through the door of salvation, they still had other rules and regulations that God required of them as a nation. So for their function and their spiritual life, because imagine if you are in this country and you want to be patriotic and talk about the founding fathers and the Constitution and all of that, people get all nostalgic when they talk about such things. But if you wanted to be a good citizen in Israel, you would be devoted and honoring God because God is the one who established Israel. Israel is a theocracy. And so when we think about it, God is the one who, whose standards are being abused if you don't keep them. And, you, and as, as I said, read Isaiah, you will find that uh, Israel did not live up to the standards that God had for them as Israelites. So it's different. So for us, even though, so here we come, we're saved as, as we were formerly Gentiles, we weren't Jews. And now, are we under the laws that govern Jewish nation? The answer is no, we're not. But you still, even though you're saved now, you're still under the laws that govern wherever you happen to live. You can, now, even though they don't, none of this affects your salvation. None of it does. It didn't affect their salvation for the Jew, and it doesn't affect our salvation if we're disobedient to the laws that govern over us. But if we uh, don't, so the process is understand your salvation, then, like it says in Romans, um, I believe it's 13, that every person should be subject to the laws of the country they live in, something to that effect. We should be. We're not, we can't say, well, we, we're under God and, and we don't have to obey. We're in the world, but we're, we don't have to obey anybody. No, you still are under certain laws. So but Paul is letting us know in Romans that even though we're saved, we're not under the law. Well, that makes perfect sense because we're not Israelites and we're not living in nation Israel. We're not under the law. We're under grace. We got another way that we're governed by God. And it's not the nation Israel. Hopefully that makes some sense too and speaks to what you've added. Yes, it does. I, I, um, I think the, you know, the, the uh, terminology also helps when I'm thinking about it. So when I'm thinking about salvation, I can immediately see that, yes, it is entirely grace-oriented. And Jesus is the one who completed all the work. So there is nothing left to be done. So I don't even perform works um, to say that I'm grateful for what has been done. Um, that is not what God is asking for. But if I look at the term sanctification um, or uh, calling and, and purpose, then I start seeing the distinctions that you're talking about. You know, where Israel had very much a very different set of rules that they had to abide by because they were a nation of That's Israel. Right. And yet uh, the body of Christ, the church, is worldwide. It's not, um, you know, settled by geographical boundaries. That's right. Um, so our, our calling is, is um, quite different 
and I think, you know, people, um, and we do it here with the purpose of a lot of our um, uh, talks are to make this distinction. You know, what, so what is the calling of the church and, and how do I live that life? That's right. As opposed to adopting some of the standards like the Ten Commandments and say, oh, you know, I'm not lusting and I'm not killing anybody, so I guess I'm pretty good. <laughs> yeah. But that's, um, and I think the other thing you mentioned too, that this is, um, you know, the point that you brought out is that this is from God's perspective too. Um, and that's really important because somebody could look at Romans chapter 3 and which has pretty strong language <laughs> that none is righteous, right. no, not one. Mm-hmm. And uh, down in, in verse 13, their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive, the venom of asp is on their lips. Uh, somebody could look at that and say, whoa, that sounds like somebody really bad, and I'm not like that. Right. But that's not from a human perspective, that's from God's perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We should see that, that... God, when we deal, really, there's two things to think about. So, and I think, and thanks for for bringing that out. There's one is salvation, right? The first question that everybody needs to answer for themselves, and we, as we we talk about, um, the verses you mentioned in Romans are not just in the New Testament, but they're in the Old Testament too. They're for, they were given to the Jews as well. None righteous, not even one. All that. So the first question we got to do is come to God and, and, and re- be reconciled to him through uh, the salvation plan that he offers. And that is, uh, for the Jew, it was clear for them, but they refused. It is clear for us and today, and some people still refuse it. So that's the first thing. We got to come to God. And, and what are the conditions? No works are necessary. You can't do any works. The only thing you can do is believe. Faith, like Abraham and others that we have talked about, Noah, Abel. That's the only thing. So now, and then secondly, you mentioned, okay, well, uh, God does have something for you to do. and But that's as a saved individual. And, and that depends on the calling that you have. Uh, and we might even say that that depends on when God chose to bring you on the scene, right? What dispensation, what era of human history. And if he brought you, you still could have been brought on in Old Testament times, but you might not have been uh, one who had the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You might have been a Gentile. You, or you might have been one of the ones that was Abraham, had the genes of, of Israel. So uh, it, it matters what you're, where you were born at what particular point in time. And then it also matters uh, from that, what calling we're under. So we're in an age where God has revealed the mystery and the church, which was not known in previous ages and generations, and it was hidden God. So now that God is calling out many sons into glory, he's got a new plan for us. We're not under the law. So then what, is, what are we under? Well, that is why we're here, trying to define not only what salvation is, but what is the Christian way of life? How do we uh, live before God? It says we're going to reach the judgment seat of Christ. So we're going to be evaluated on how we lived. And then the fact that we're evaluated does not mean 
God's going to judge us by the Mosaic law because we're not under the Mosaic law. And the people in, uh, in Israel are going to be judged as well. They're going to be evaluated and to, to determine whether or not they will receive rewards, not for salvation, but for the calling they have. And they're not going to be judged by the standards of the church. They're going to be judged by the standards that were given to Israel. So hopefully that uh, those two things are clear, you know, salvation and our calling. Thanks for, for bringing that out. Other, yeah, yeah, yeah. Other thoughts out there or about anything we discussed? Yeah, I had one thought. I think it was pertaining to, excuse a little background note, but it was pertaining to Dwight's first uh, statement uh, when he started speaking. If I heard him correctly, uh, in regards to the Gentiles and the Jews, it just brought a scripture, it brought a few scriptures to mind when he, when he started speaking. And that was um, about the fact that the Gentiles, the Bible talks about, was uh, lost and without hope in the world, and um, and then it brought to mind the fact that on the day of Pentecost, it was all devout Jews, so they were the first ones to receive uh, the ushering in of the of the church. They were all Jews, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. So the Gentiles who were lost and without hope. God grafted them in, and I'm trying, I'm trying to remember what the light was saying, but, but the correlation between the Jew and the Gentile um, coming into the fold and being neither Jew nor Gentile, but a new creation in Christ Jesus, just as those devout Jews that on the day of Pentecost came in, you know that I see what you're saying, but I don't, I don't want to, I, I would say, I would change it, I would slightly change the way you're saying it just a tad. And that is that when you talk about us being grafted in, I don't think that's the conversation, what happened in Acts, um, about how the Jews got it first, and then later on in Acts, we see the Gentiles got it. And, and But it is true that Acts is more of the transition of how God was able to bring about this new dispensation. He did it at Pentecost, but in order for him to establish authority, he did not do it across the board for everybody at the same time. So we have the Jewish Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. We have the Samaritan Pentecost in Acts chapter 8. And then we have the Gentile Pentecost in Acts chapter 10 and 11. So, but all told, it is the same church age that, uh, but it had to be administered through this apostolic body. 
right? That God wanted the church not to be fragmented, but to be under one head, the gospel. Uh, I'm sorry, one head, the apostles. So that's why we have the transition in Acts, you know, between um, what happened with, the, you know, the Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and 8, and then we see it in 10, and then in 19, you found some stragglers out there who said, well, what baptism were you baptized with? And they said, well, the baptism of John, and, and then Paul laid his hands on them, and then they received the baptism. So in other words, it was to establish the authority of the church under the apostles. This was God's direction, and that was he, he was establishing that. And I think hindsight, my dad, my dad says hindsight is, is, is like no sight because anybody can have that. But by looking back, which we are able to do, I can see the wisdom in what God did and how he staggered that between Jews, Gentiles, and Samaritans. I could see how he had kept the authority of the church intact by that. If he would, if Samaritans were getting it and the Gentiles were getting it and, and, and independently, it may have been fragmented. So, but the grafting in is, is related to uh, how God has a witness on this earth all the time between, and the Jews were that witness. The Jews were the ones who were supposed to be the priest nation to the world, all nations. And they, if you wanted to hear the gospel, you, you, would have, you would have needed to go to a Jew. He would have been the one to have the gospel. But uh, now, uh, right now, God has a witness in this world. It is not Israel. It is the church. So we are part of the plan of God. Before, we were, when it talks about we were without hope and all that, uh, it's, it's a reference to the fact that we were the ones that the Jews were supposed to minister to. And the Gentiles were, were was the, we were the mission field for the Jews. But now, the way it's happened is, is that God has a new plan for the church that includes Jews and Gentiles. So for the first time in human history, the Gentiles have a definite plan of God. We are, we're under the the. the the mystery plan, we could say, the one that was hidden. And God is accomplishing something through Gentiles directly. So um, so I, I, I see your thought, but maybe I didn't fully answer your the question. But um, I just wanted to clear up a couple things. Uh, I'm good. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for, for the question. And we're going to have to quit. I think we're... We're just about out of time, but before we close, closing thoughts, anyone? All right, well, let's, let's look to the Lord in prayer before we close. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had this evening. We're, we're grateful for uh, your word. And Father, we, we, as we read your word, it is strikingly clear to us that salvation is by grace. And None of us have earned salvation or even deserve it. It has come to us as a gift by grace, not of ourselves. We thank you for the design of salvation, how the, the wisdom that we are seeing of how it is administered fairly, evenly among all those who are in the world. We just 
And, and Father, we thank you for the, the work of Christ on our behalf. Uh, it goes without saying many times, but we just want to thank you for his work on our behalf. All this we ask in his name as well. Amen. Amen. Amen.